This week on Rotten or Righteous, Mash and Sackcloth. Something definitely sounds wrong. You said, quote, we see a side of Frank that we don't see in this episode. Yeah, that definitely sounds wrong. <laughs> Okay. Hello and welcome back to Rotten... <laughs> You're an idiot. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Rotten or Righteous Mash and Sackcloth, the only podcast that's like an Old Testament genealogy. You just kind of skip it. With me today, as always... <laughs> wow. You're getting truer statements from these introductions all the time. <laughs> that's Mash and Sackcloth. Next... Amen. Father Abraham. Had many sons. And uh, with me today is one of those sons, Scott Judge. He's the right arm. You know, we've incorporated more Bible into this episode than we have the last 24. I'm okay with that. And me, well, I am, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. He's Gene. I'm sorry. Gene. I'm Zach. Tyler. Logie. Genealogy. Nope. I'm not that. That was that was a bad joke, Scott. Um, yes, my, my my son's four, going on five now, and uh, I, I have to tell you that, and I, I feel like I'm kind of letting him down when it comes to to flirtations with the opposite sex because he doesn't do it very well, but he tries, and so I give him credit for that. He's working on five. What exactly are you expecting out of him? Well, I, I'm just, I'm just saying that I know he's young, but he has a long way to go uh, before before he can talk any game. Take for example today, um, we went to went to Taco Bell, me and the boy, and we we rolled up to the drive-through window, and he rolled his window down, and he stuck this stuffed giraffe that he has on the windowsill. And he asked the cashier, he goes, do you like my giraffe? And then she goes, yeah, I love giraffes. That's such a cool giraffe. And he goes, yeah, my grandpa's dead. (laughs) (laughs) This is good. He's initiated conversation. He's getting the sympathy to come back his way. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if you don't tell me he's having dinner with her tonight. I just, I, I just lost it because that's exactly how it went. It went. Oh, I like your giraffe. Yeah, my grandpa's dead. <laughs> I wouldn't be a bit surprised if I actually don't try that myself sometime this week. And then I'll let you know how that turns out. Listen, I've just been having a, a tough week in the in the death department. But yesterday, uh, or no, it was today. I was driving through the the cemetery. And Scott, wouldn't you know that there's a giant blue and maize M 
less than a hundred yards from my grandfather-in-law's grave, marking the headstone of someone else. You gonna move him? No, it is a giant. I'm not joking, Scott. It says Wolverines right over the front of it. It is a Michigan University headstone. Where is Bo Schembechler buried? It's not Bo Schembechler. It was the it was the grave of a 43 year old man who died in 2013. Mm. But I asked wow. I asked Kelsey last night. I said I, th- I said I think our flower budget's going to go up. And she said, we have a flower budget? And I said, not yet, but we will. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> and I said, I think just like once a month, I'm going to go over there and lay a nice scarlet and gray bouquet of roses. <laughs> I knew. Had nothing to do with your grandfather at all. <laughs> no, just, just, to, just to help that guy and keep his memory alive. Now, oh, now Kelsey funny. said that that would be disrespectful, but I disagree. I don't think you'll care. Yeah, well, no, I told I told her that straight up. I said, I just don't think he cares. Either that or just like Edgar Allan Poe, you know, how they will put like a, a glass of wine on his headstone uh, every year. And then over the night, someone comes and drinks it and lays a red rose on it. I think I'm going to do something like that. But like every night for the big game, I'm just going to run out there and just lay a solitary Buckeye right on his headstone. In the middle of the night. A squirrel comes by and eats it. I hope not, because they're poisonous. This is a good plan. Not all of the Buckeye is poisonous, I don't think. No, just the eye part. Yeah. You can eat the buck. The buck is, is fine to eat, but you can't eat the eye. Right. You can dot your eye, and you can poke your eye, but you can't eat the eye. Right. Hey, Scott. I guess now's... <laughs> yeah, I know. That may be the dumbest thing I say today. But challenge no, accepted. I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, wholeheartedly. Um, I need to tell you a story that came out in December 3rd, 2019. Mm, I can't wait to hear it. This is from... September 3rd? Yep, this is from BBC. And uh, the title is Dog Starts House Fire in Essex by Turning on Microwave. Hmm. Hmm. You have piqued my interest. Um, a dog started a house fire when it managed to turn on the microwave. A fire service said the husky type animal. Now, hold on a second. I need to stop right there. Is it a, a, a husky like a, a like a dog, a Siberian husky, or is it just a fat animal? A husky animal. I'm going to go with the fact that he was a, he was not a husky, but he was a husky animal because he was warming something up in the microwave. <laughs> right. It stands to reason. So basically it's just saying a fat type animal was left on its own in the house of Stan- or Stanford Lee Hope. Or in a house. Well, let's try that again. A fat type animal was left on its own in the house. And Stanford Lee Hope turned on the appliance, which was on a worktop in the kitchen. A packet of bread, bread, a packet of bread rolls, which had been placed inside, began to burn and caused a small fire. Essex Fire Service said 
The owner, who was not at home at the time, was alerted to the fire by an app on their mobile phone. The fire service said the owner's device allowed them to view live feeds from a camera that was set up in their house on Kingsman Road. I'll tell you what, the owner is guilty of this. This is not the dog's fault. I mean, you just a microwave have a, does a bread box not make. You just have a fat dog just pushing buttons. He's just yeah. being a good boy. But can he, you imagine? The wrong one. Can you imagine getting having an app on your phone? Little... Can you imagine having an app on your phone that just alerts you? That's like, hey, your house is on fire. You want to watch it burn? Yes. <laughs> Should you be calling nine one one? Just a second. <laughs> hey, all your stuff, your dreams, and your memories are going up in flames. You want to watch? <laughs> oh, that portly dog! Oh, fat dogs. It demonstrates that microwaves should not be used to store food when they aren't in use. The fireman said. And then Captain Obvious from those commercials popped up behind him going, a doy. And uh, always keep your microwave clean and free of clutter or food and any packaging. Animals or children can turn them on more easily than you might think. So please don't run the risk. And the most important part of this uh, story is that the dog was not hurt. I stole the lyrics from a song real quick just for you. Oh my goodness. Fat Stop bottom just... dogs, they make the microwaves go round. All right, Scott, real quick, I'm going to watch this video because it said okay. more on this story. And then it took me an article to February 5th, 2018, which says dog starts fire because he really needed a pancake. So just give me a second. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll explain. <laughs> I'll, I'll, oh, here it goes. Here it goes. Oh, there's a dog. He's a fat dog. He's up on the stove. Oh, he knocked something off the stove. What is happening here? Sounds like the clicking of a stove. The house is on fire now. The dog is just walking around. Oh, no, the dog's pancake is on fire. The dog started a stove to cook this pancake. Yep, the house is still on fire. The dog is laying on the couch, just pretending that nothing is wrong. Nothing happened? Yeah, the dog started this fire, and then just laid down on the couch. Oh, here comes the fireman. He's slowly walking in. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, he pet the dog. He, the fire is still going. The fireman stopped to pet the dog before <laughs> putting the, dog. the fire out. And then finally a fireman arrived. It seems to me that they did everything they could to let this house burn to the ground. Right. But there there it was a golden retriever. The golden retriever hopped up, popped a pancake onto the oven, the box of pancakes, uh, turned the oven on, started a fire, then saw the fire, and then went and laid down on the couch next to his other golden retriever friend. The fire marshal walked in, saw the fire, but stopped and petted the dog first. <laughs> And then another fireman came in full gear and finally turned the fire uh, or put the fire out. <laughs> oh, I bet that I bet that uh, fireman gets reprimanded. How do you stop and pet the dog when there's a, the house is ablaze? 
I mean, I don't think he does. I think I would understand. Alrighty, let's talk about MASH. This is the 23rd... This is the 23rd episode of the first season of MASH, titled, another nickname in high school, Ceasefire. (laughs) That's what that fireman was saying when he put that dog, Ceasefire, Ceasefire. So, the poor guys in MASH are having a hard time when this episode opens. They were in surgery for, for three days with only three hours of sleep. And all kind of trapper like, we're going to go to Japan and have ourselves a break. But before they can do that, wouldn't you know that old uh, uh, Brigadier General Crandall Late or Clayton calls and says that Sin Compact called a ceasefire. And I don't know what you're thinking. What in the world did you just say, Zach? What in the world is Sin, Sin Compact? And you're right. I didn't know. Scott, I had to Google this. Did you know what Sin Compact is? Central Command. What's PAC? Central what is Command. PAC? I don't know. Central Command. Central Command of what PAC is. Central Command of the Pacific. Oh, Sin Compact. Right. Duh. Come on. Everyone knows that. Duh. So, at this news, everyone celebrates and says their goodbyes. All except for Trapper John, who remains skeptical that this is all just going to blow over. That there's not really going to be a ceasefire. They're just, they're just pulling their chains. Because eventually somebody's going to say something that makes the other one mad and the firing's going to start. And man, I gotta say, these goodbyes are are just something. Shallow, stupid. For example, you may you may imagine that one of the biggest goodbyes that we spend a lot of the episode on is the goodbye between Frank and Margaret Hotlips mm-hmm. Houlihan. Who Margaret says that she's not gonna get in the way of, of Frank and his wife. That she's never going to hear anything from him. Uh, that she's not going to write any letters or call. And, and and Frank's like, well, you're just a peach, Margaret. You're just great. And then Frank says something real stupid like, man, Margaret, I wish you could have met my wife. You'd like her. It <laughs> was a great line. Yeah, he's an idiot. All kind of the flip side of things is not trying to say goodbye to his mistress in order to get back to his wife, but he is pretending to have a wife and kids to get out of three separate relationships with nurses that he has going on. Hawkeye's quite the womanizer. Now, I will say that the first nurse he breaks up with does have one of the funnier lines in the show, because after admitting that he has a pretend wife and kids, he goes, I'm sure going to miss you when I get home. And the nurse says, you won't have to wait that long. <laughs> and then leaves. Now, this episode got me in the feels, Scott, because really? Henry Henry's talking to Radar. Radar, by the way, is going around getting everybody to sign his scrapbook. That's what his main thing to do is in this episode. But as it's he's like asking, a, a graduation, right? He signed my he signed my scrapbook. 
I want to know who was the one that signed the, the crack of the scrapbook, because that was always a thing in my high school, was uh, you'd race to sign someone's yearbook to be the first person to sign their crack. Yeah. And you'd write, and write then something you had like, all the stay cool. Yeah. Hey, see you next year, bro. Hope you stay just the way you are. Call me. I never once called anybody. It's like, stay in touch. No. I don't like you that much when I'm around you. I don't want to be around you when I don't have to. My junior and senior year, I didn't have anybody sign my yearbook. But my sophomore year, someone started to sign it. They never finished it. I have no idea who it is. (laughs) Dear listeners, if you happen to be the one that started to sign my yearbook, I may put a petition out. I may do a Facebook Live. But as Hawkeye is trying to get... I don't care about that. As Hawkeye is trying to get... uh, uh, Not Hawkeye. As Radar is trying to get Henry to sign his scrapbook, Henry's just going on and on about how much he's looking forward to getting back to normal with his wife and his kids. And it just breaks your heart, Scott, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. You know, Radar comes in and he goes, will you sign this? And and he's like, whatever it is, just you sign it. (laughs) No, what breaks my heart is the fact that Henry's thinking about getting back to normal with his wife and kids. And we all know that Henry will never make it back to his wife and kids. Mm. Mm. Spoiler alert. I think we've said that about half the episodes. We talk about how Henry just dies. He just dies. He's just dead. And then we go back to Margaret and Frank saying goodbye again. But this time, Margaret says that she's going to go and stick her head in the oven and commit suicide. And that's why Frank's not going to see her. Dark turn, Mash. Dark turn. So the camp gathers enthusiastically for one last final goodbye party in the mess tent. And Hawkeye launches the festivities by first announcing that he's forgiving $1,500 worth of poker debts. And then he does a slideshow, showing several embarrassing pictures of Brigadier General Crandall Clayton and Margaret getting a little touchy-feely, which Frank gets jealous about. Of course. It's his woman. Now keep in mind that... Clayton's all over her. Now before this party... Ho-John miraculously appears for the first time in 37 years. Last time we saw Ho-John, if you remember, he was stealing a bunch of stuff. And then they had a uh, then they had a, a fundraiser so that he could go to America and become a doctor. Why is he back in Korea? Spring break? Maybe. Summer break? Everybody knows how fun it is to have spring break in Korea. That, that, That's right. That Korean sunshine. I don't know. But what he does is like, hey, Hawkeye, can I get some souvenirs to remember you guys? And Hawkeye's like, take everything you want. And so Ho-John brings his whole family over and they just start dismantling the camp. <laughs> the entire camp. I mean, they're taking speakers. They're taking latrines. They're taking canvas tents. Anything that's not nailed down, the Johns have at their mm-hmm. house now. So anyways, back at this party, everybody's celebrating and laughing at General Clayton because, well, Clayton is uh, 
Well, he's he's a big shot, caused a lot of people's deaths, but and nobody really cares. It works. They're about to go home, and that's when old Radar brings the news to Clayton from Syncompact. Sorry, couldn't remember that. Syncompact. From Syncompact, they brought some news that the ceasefire's over and the war's still going on. So everybody just gets back to normal. And afterwards, Hawkeye goes into the swamp, which is now just a frame. <laughs> Three sticks and half a mattress. It's gone. Now just, now just a frame. His bed's gone. The still's gone. The heater's gone. Frank's bunk is gone. The only thing that's left is trapper stuff because the whole time he's like, this isn't going to work. I'm telling you, <laughs> this is not going to end. happen. You know, and it's funny, as I was watching this, I really wondered, I wonder who got the swamp sign. You suppose Ho John took that? Yep. And it's over his dorm room as he's in America. And we'll never know he's because Ho John does not appear in this episode or in MASH ever again. Yeah. So. Well, he either hadn't left yet or I like to think he was home for spring break. So Hawkeye is just sitting down reminiscing about. The $1,500 debt that he forgave. The nurses that now hate him. And being on Clayton's shortlist for showing all those pictures that he took of him and Margaret getting a little bit close. Poor Hawkeye. Go big or go home. And he went big, but he doesn't get to go home. Did you see down in the uh, fun facts? says, apparently an alternative ending was written for this script, which the war actually did end. This was just in case the network decided not to renew MASH for another season. In which case, the alternative ending would have been used and Ceasefire would have been the very last episode. You know, I figured that. I figured that out earlier on because it is their first season. So it would make sense that they did an episode where the war could potentially end. And then that would be the end of everything. I also noticed that in case uh, they weren't renewed. I also noticed that this episode marks the last appearance of several recurring characters. Hawkeye preemptively breaks up with three of the nurses he's been casually seeing over the course of the season, all of whom believe their relationship with Hawkeye to be significantly more than casual. Lieutenant Margie Cut or Cutler, Lieutenant Barbara Bannerman, and Lieutenant Nancy Griffin. Hawkeye breaks up with each of them by lying about being married and having kids, and each of them leave angry at having been deceived by a, quote, married man. None are ever seen again. They probably put their heads in the oven. (laughs) What'd you think of that scene? Share the scene with us, Zach. Uh, What scene? The scene of Margaret tried to put her head in the oven. Well, first of all, she tried to put her head in a wood-burning stove. (laughs) An unlit wood-burning stove. So Margaret sticks her head in the stove. Frank drags her away, and she pleads with him to take her back to the States with him so she could be his nurse. And Frank says, my wife's my nurse. Then she says, Margaret says, I'll be the patient. He goes, but I'm, what about my wife? First of all, she goes, well, I'll learn to love her. Oh, Frank. <laughs> Frank. This is... Uh, poor, poor, poor Margaret. 
this was actually a pretty good episode, I thought. I mean, yeah. all the all the atrocities are still going on, and yeah, it was pretty good. It is what it is. Which. The next episode of MASH is titled Showtime, which ironically was a nickname for Scott in high school. Yeah. Because he liked to dance. Not really. So. Can I, can I just ask before we even get started? Did you like this episode? I didn't hate this episode. I just thought it was kind of. I don't know. It felt like a Dear Dad anyway. episode. Where. Yeah. There was like, there's a USO show going on with a stand-up comic and and three women singing. And in between performances, there's just clips of stuff. That about sums it up. (laughs) So next week... (laughs) (laughs) Well... Right now... We do see a side of Frank we don't see in this episode, though. Yeah. Now, hold on a second. I don't know. Let's stop just for a second. Go back and just parse what you just said. You said, quote, we don't see a side... (laughs) You said, quote, we see a side of Frank that we don't see in this episode. Yeah, that definitely sounds wrong. (laughs) That we don't (laughs) usually see. Dear listeners, who are seeing what you don't see, it may be time to check in with your psychiatrist. So, there's a bunch of stories going on in between these Miller singers singing old-timey songs. Uh, For example, Henry's wife is in labor. And so he's all worried about that. And, but but we learned that... uh, that, that the baby is a healthy baby boy. Henry had his first son, a child that he will never see. And uh, in order to cheer him up, I'm telling you. You're relentless, man. It's true. I can't get it out of my mind. Anytime, anytime Henry has some sort of emotional scene with his family back home, that's all I can think of mm-hmm. is he's not getting back there. He'll never see him again. And I tell you what, after the baby was born and Frank's all, like, depressed about it, uh, uh, Radar goes out to try to cheer him up and finds a little Korean baby for him to hold. And he's holding this little Korean baby. And it it made me cry. I cried at this episode, Scott. Did you really? Yes, because I remember holding my kid for the first time, and I would hate to... To think that I'd be in Korea someday, and then on my way to go and meet my child for the first time, I'm shot over uh, the ocean and never seen again. Mm. But I did. I I welled up just a little bit here. See, and how soon soon is your baby born? November. November. 
So for those that are listening from Syncom Pack, Zach needs to be at home through the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm not going over to Korea. Are you kidding me? Recruiter look at me once and went, <laughs> Uncle Sam don't need you. <laughs> I should go in with you to the recruiting station and be like, oh yeah, he can handle this. <laughs> he can do things I can't. I once saw him do three push-ups. Now, I will say that uh, this this storyline with Henry and his son does have one of my favorite lines I've heard in this whole first season. Henry goes, uh, or Radar's bugging him, and Henry goes, it's bad enough that my wife is having a baby and I can't be with her. And Radar goes, well, at least you were there for the important part. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that, was, that was a good... <laughs> that was a very... <laughs> Radar sets the optimist. <laughs> oh, goodness. Meanwhile. Oh, actually, Radar. <laughs> meanwhile, Kaplan, uh, uh, or, or Captain Kaplan, the worst named person in the show, Captain Kaplan, uh, is also the mm-hmm. can't dentist, receives his discharge papers. And so he's taking... Great pains to make sure he does not get injured before he sets off for home. For example, he declines to pass Hawkeye the salt and even rejects a goodbye kiss from the nurse. But all this is for nothing as he pushes over the 19-year-old driver who is going to take him to his plane and then immediately drives off the road, breaking his leg and his arm. But the driver's unharmed. So the dentist has to hang out a little bit while or a little while longer in mash before he is able to go home. Yeah, he'll probably get shot down over the Sea of Japan too. Father Mulcahy, on the other hand, is depressed that he doesn't seem to achieve anything tangible. Unlike doctors who can always see the end results of their work, he won't know whether or not he actually helped anyone until he dies. Hawkeye tries to to console the doctor, but he remains doubtful. Meanwhile, Trapper, Ugly John, and Margaret are working on a crudically, a crudically, wittily, are working on a critically wounded soldier. Yep, a guy that's real hurt, but it's very touch and go. He may not make it. Probably not. It sounds like it's critical. Yeah, but we don't have to pronounce that word. No, not anymore. No, I think it's critical that we pronounce critical. But Trapper refuses to to rest, and he's going to stay with this patient make sure he survives. So Hawkeye summons Father Mulcahy to the patient for some, quote, cross action. And the patient just appears to get better. Now, when the wounded first arrived... Hawkeye is shouting orders over Frank, and Frank's not not having it, because Frank, of course, is the superior officer. He looks at Hawkeye and says, hey, stop shouting over me. I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is a gold oak leaf, to which Hawkeye responds, it did look a little bit big for a piece of dandruff. But Frank's had enough of Hawkeye and his insults. As a matter of fact, Frank says to Hawkeye, you've insen- or you have insulted me for the last time. To which Hawkeye responds, don't forget your hat, Frank, and hands him a bedpan. 
But hey, you know, as I told you not too long ago, we need some merch. You know, we need a bedpan hat that says "Mash and Sackcloth" on it. Right. Because if there's one thing that merch should be, is absolutely unusable. <laughs> That's right. Now Frank does get the upper hand on Hawkeye with three different practical jokes in this episode. To which I, you know, I gotta applaud Frank. It's like, good for you, Frank. First, he sabotages the swamps still, causing water to spray Hawkeye in the or water to spray Hawkeye in the face. Water. <laughs> <laughs> he, he sabotaged the swamps boudet. He sabotaged the still in order... What? The swamp's boudet? What are you... Are you trying to talk about... Are you trying to say the word buday? Buday. Boudet. Not a boudet. It's a bidet. No, you don't. It's a bidet. It's always been a bidet. A boudet is something completely different. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're you're spraying gin out of your boudet. So anyways... He sabotages the still, causing it to spray Hawkeye in the face with gin. Uh, the second involves the classic bucket over the door gag. And if you don't know what that is, it's where there's a bucket over a door. Over the that, door. When it's opened, spills on Hawkeye. And the third, I've got to say, Frank must be an engineering genius because <laughs> how this worked is beyond me. All right, the, the showers, in case you've never watched MASH, which, again, if you have it, why are you listening to this show? And if you have, why are you listening to this show? Uh, the showers in the MASH work with a, with a spigot that you have to pull down and hold down in order for water to come out of the shower head. It doesn't have, like, a normal turn where it just stays on. So there's two showers side by side. So Hawkeye comes in to the left shower, and pulls down the left shower's chain for water to come out, but water comes out of the right shower head. And Hawkeye's confused for a minute, so then he reaches over to the right shower head spigot and pulls down, and water comes out of the right shower head. So then Hawkeye moves over to the right booth and pulls on the right shower head spigot, and water comes out of the left shower head. That's amazing engineering. I don't know how he did that. I know, I know how it was done. I think there's got to be a weight sensor in the floor there mm. that so much weight it would cost the other the other water to come out on the other side. You know what? Side. I was thinking that too, but I actually think it was more like this. I think there was somebody off screen like turning the water on to each one of those things so that the right one had the water flow and those little pull down things actually didn't do anything. Uh, you know, it is possible, but I'm going with my weight theory. Hmm. I'm spending way too much time thinking about that. Kind of like I, what we just did. What I was doing was laughing because I imagine that's what your doctor says anytime you complain about anything. Go, hey, doctor, I, I don't know what it is. I've got, for some reason, my eye hurts sensor. real bad. And your doctor's like, yeah, I'm going to go with my weight theory. <laughs> Your joints, well, 
doctor, I got this real big pimple on my forehead that hurts. Yeah, I'm gonna go with my weight theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot <laughs> Doctor my wife's in labor Wait theory <laughs> Wait theory <laughs> Oh my goodness uh, It's all about that weight About that weight So yeah Hawkeye does get uh, Get back at Frank in the end by waiting for Frank to go inside, just wanted to read his, his issue of Stars and Stripes and take a poo. And as Frank goes into the into the latrine, Hawkeye collapses the entire tent around it. So everybody just gets a peek at Frank taking a poo, reading his newspaper. Have you ever taken a poo in front of everybody? Probably. Um, have you been to those bathrooms like where you can see out but you can't see in? No, but I have been in those bathrooms where you can't see out, but you can see in. Yeah, Boy, was I, like those well. I embarrassed. <laughs> like, bitch, you were. <laughs> <laughs> Some kid was walking down going, look, mommy, an Ewok. <laughs> it doesn't help that anytime I go to the bathroom, I go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you really should do that when you're in public places and got to go in and do number one. Absolutely, you should do Number that. one? At the urinal? Just... Yeah. <laughs> the episode ends again with the USO comic shank, or thanking the crowd, and then all the members of the 4077th are seen reacting to the end of the show with their name over it. So... End of that episode. This is the final episode of Ugly John. Great. Because Ugly John is the most confusing character in this show. Because he speaks with a very thick Australian accent. But he is very much so an American soldier. But don't worry. He'll, re wow. he'll also appear later in the series as an Australian Army MP in Season 8 episode Captain's Outrageous. So... Don't be too sad. You know, You'll see Ugly John's Ugly John once more. <laughs> ugly John will be back. I I must have missed this, and I'll actually probably try to go back and watch it. When Henry learns his son has been born, he grabs the phone and tells the operator to tell his wife, Mildred, that he loves her so very much. This was the last time he referred to his wife as Mildred. Through the rest of the series, she's known as Lorraine. And then Mildred is Colonel Potter's wife. Well, who cares? <laughs> I, I <laughs> apparently I did, and a little too much. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hey, Scott, if you thought this episode, yes, Zach. if your day's bad, and I'm sure this episode didn't help, just remember, your day could be worse. Like it was on June 2nd, 1763. The ruse was simple, but fatally effective. On the afternoon of June 2nd, 
1763, hundreds of Chippewa and Salk warriors, under the guise of friendship, gathered in a field outside of Fort Michelin, or Michelin, well, good night, Fort Michelmackinac. If you think your day's bad, you should try reading this. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Fort Michelmackinac in what is now Mackinac City, Michigan, to play a game of lacrosse. Major George Etherington, commandment of the fort the British had recently captured from the French, gave no heed to the warnings. He had received that the Indians were far more hostile than they appeared. In fact, he haughtily dismissed the reports, convinced of his military superiority over the so-called savages. Thus, deluded, he and most of his garrison took their place on the sidelines to watch the match between the clay-painted warriors. The Indians' wives, wrapped tightly in blankets, were watching as well. And when, amid the frenzy of the game, the wooden ball was hurled over the fort's wall, they were ready. As the players rushed in to chase the ball, the women opened their blankets to provide all the concealed weaponry necessary for a massacre. Alexander Henry... A young fur trader, fortunate enough to find a hiding place in the attack, later recalled the ensuing horror he witnessed. Quote, Through an aperture, which afforded me a view of the area of the fort, I, I beheld in shapes the foulest and most terrible, the ferocious triumph of barbarian conquerors. The dead were scalped and mangled. The dying were writhing and shrieking under the unsatiated knife and, and tomahawk. And from the bodies of some ripped open, their butchers were drinking the blood, scooped in a hollow of joined hands, and quaffed amid shouts of rage and victory. <laughs> Wasn't much of a lacrosse game. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know who won the game. <laughs> It wasn't the losing team, I know that. I bet it was the Washington Redskins. <laughs> they see what you did there. G good night, everybody. 